Being a Better Man, episode 179. All right, guys, welcome to Wednesday. Welcome to Storytime with Alf. Storytime is where I tell a true story from my strange and interesting life. The purpose of the story is not just to entertain you, but also to share with you the lesson or lessons I learned from that story. They might even cause you to reevaluate parts of your life and help you get lessons that you never knew were there. With that being said, just sit back, relax, and enjoy the story. I always loved ghost stories. I enjoyed getting scared around a campfire or a darkened room with other people, taking turns who could conjure the scariest story and get the best reaction. I had one uncle who was especially gifted at spinning a scary yarn. I don't know if it was the quickening of my heart rate or the palpable fear and excitement of myself and the other people that made me enjoy it, or if it was the relief that washed over you when the lights came back on and everybody was safe and sound. But I did enjoy it. I was an especially imaginative kid, almost to my detriment. I would often spend more time in the imaginary world than I would spend in the real one. In fact, there seemed to be a very thin line between the two for me. That was most obvious in my dreams. I would remain in a dream long after I woke up, until I became very confused. Like the time I dreamt my dad ran over me with the tractor and cut off my right arm accidentally. I lay in bed for a long time, crying after I woke up, grieving the loss of my limb It wasn't until I looked down and saw my arm that I realized I was dreaming. Other people, too, particularly my parents, would have a hard time telling the difference from one of my made-up stories and a true story. I was the proverbial boy who cried wolf. This turned out to be a liability on more than one occasion. My imagination was very helpful with other things, though, like school projects and writing class and making my friends laugh. When I was 11 years old, I had undertaken one such school project. It was going to be a spaceship made out of cardboard. I had it all figured out in my mind, and now all I had to do was assemble it. I would get lost in projects like this and lose all track of time. It was going to be a model of a spaceship's interior, like the top was removed and you could see the entire floor plan and all the controls and the furniture where the aliens would drive the ship. It was very labor-intensive and was proving to be a lot more complex in real life than it was in my head. My dad had put a full-length basement under our existing house to give us more room. The basement was my realm, my sanctuary, and this is where I was working on my project. Around 7 o'clock at night, my parents called down to me and told me we were leaving. They said we were going to visit some friends. I started to panic. I looked at my half-finished project, and I told them I couldn't go. I had to keep working. Then I asked if I could stay home alone. I had never been left alone before up to this point. I could tell they were deliberating about it, 
and I was sure my mom was saying no and my dad was saying yes. They eventually told me to come upstairs. They sat me down and had a little pep talk about responsibility and since I was older now and how they were counting on me. What it amounted to was that my dad had won this one and they were going to let me stay home alone for a couple hours. I said goodbye to them, and when they left, I immediately returned to working on my spaceship. I don't know how much time passed. I was making great headway on the ship, though. I was totally engrossed in this three-foot-long cardboard monstrosity held together with Elmer's glue and duct tape. As I was working, I heard the normal sounds of the house. You know, like footsteps walking across the floor above me, the the squeaky rocking chair in the living room squeaking back and forth, or chair legs scooting across the floor as someone stood up from the table, all the normal sounds. Then, all of a sudden, as I was hearing these noises, I realized that there was something missing. Voices. I didn't hear any voices. I quickly became gripped with a paralyzing fear because I remembered that I was in the house alone. I had forgotten who or what was making the noises I was hearing. I remained frozen for several moments, just listening, straining my ears to hear a voice, but there were none. All I could hear were the continuing sounds of things moving in the house. A chair would scoot in the kitchen, the bathroom door would close and then open, The whole while, the squeaky rocking chair kept up its rhythm. The most disturbing noise of all were the footsteps, pacing back and forth from the porch to the kitchen, occasionally stopping, then continuing again as though someone were looking for something. It was the footsteps that led me to believe our house had been invaded, not by a monster, but rather some sinister human that believed the house was empty. We lived out in the country with not many neighbors. There was virtually no crime where we lived, but it would be the ideal place for some. I had gotten incredibly cold. I don't know if it was because I was sweating a cold, clammy sweat of fear or because it was actually cold, but I was shivering violently. Then another thought hit me like a ton of bricks. What if they were still here when my family got home? Suddenly, I was more afraid for my family than I was for myself. I stood up. I was formulating a plan. I decided I should make my way to the other end of the basement, about 40 feet away, and see if I could see anything looking up the stairs. If the door had been left open, I might catch a glimpse of the intruder. Then at least I would know what I was up against. I started moving, one slow step at a time. It seemed like the noises coming from the floor above increased a little bit every time I took a step. Then, all of a sudden, I could feel something at my back. I could feel a cold breath, as though something were only inches away from my neck, breathing. I spun around, sure I was going to face my death, but there was nothing there. Then I got the same feeling something was behind me again on the side I had just been facing a moment before. 
So I would spin around again to find again nothing. No matter what direction I faced, I could feel something right behind me, a presence, something. It took forever for me to travel the 40 feet to the other end of the basement because with each step I took, I had to also spin around back and forth several times trying to see the specter that was tormenting me. Not to mention the fact that with each step I took, the noises upstairs were becoming more definite, more aggressive. It made me feel like I was being watched, and it made me feel like maybe it wasn't a person upstairs after all, but something else, something worse. About halfway into my journey across the length of the basement, I became aware that I was crying. I had been too scared to notice before. It made me angry at myself. I was 11 after all. And it's harder to be quiet when you're crying. Finally, after a period of time I could only guess at, I was standing at the bottom of the stairs at the other end of the basement. I looked up. The door at the top was not open, but it was not closed entirely either. It was ajar about six inches. The noises had not stopped since I had first heard them. In fact, they had increased. They were coming from four different rooms at the same time. It was like there was a party going on, except for the absolute lack of any voices. I stood for a while, staring into the six-inch gap left by the door, trying desperately to catch a glimpse of something. Part of the torture was not knowing what I was facing, I just wanted to see something, but even when the footsteps walked right past the door, there was nothing to see. I had about reached my limit. I felt like if I was any more scared, I would just lose consciousness or die. I was worried for my family, too. They had no idea what they were walking into. The only thing I could think of that was worse than what was happening was the thought of hearing my family's screams as they walked into the house to their unknown fate. After weighing all the options over and over, it seemed like there was only one course of action. I would let whatever was making the noises know I was here. Then maybe, after they were done with me, they would leave and my family would be okay. At any rate, I was sure to bring them into the basement, which would give my family a better chance. There was a red wooden block laying on the floor, the kind you stack up and make things with when you're a little kid. I decided that I would throw that block at the door and then deal with whatever happened next. But just standing there doing nothing was killing me. I couldn't stand the idea of being snuck up on either. This way, I would see whatever was coming. I figured it was the best chance my family and I had. So I picked up the block and cocked my arm to throw. I stayed in that position for several minutes until my arm fell asleep because all the blood had drained out of it. I was so afraid to throw that block. After a few minutes, I tried again. I cocked my arm to throw, and again, I was frozen in place like some statue at the park. 
the whole time, the noises just kept going on upstairs. On my third attempt, I had more resolve. I had become disgusted with my lack of courage. This was it. I cocked my arm to throw again. I took a deep breath, and I let her fly. As soon as my arm started its forward motion, the house erupted. Every noise I had been hearing doubled in intensity. The rocking chair sounded like it was going to fly apart. All the chairs were scooting around at the same time. The bathroom door was slamming. The footsteps became stomps. As I released the block, it seemed to fly through the air toward the door in slow motion. It hit the door hard, and the door started opening. The block bounced off the door and was tumbling loudly back down the stairs toward where I was standing. I wasn't actually standing. I was more like crouching, screaming, absolutely certain that any second something horrible was coming down the stairs for me. As the red block tumbled toward me, I was backing up until I hit the wall, the place where I was sure I was going to die. At the top of the basement walls, there were a few windows. Suddenly, I noticed there were lights flashing in them, a car. Oh no, my family. But whatever it was, was still upstairs. What was going to happen? I thought I may still have to listen to their screams. If only I had thrown the block sooner. I could hear their voices talking outside, and I could still hear the noises from upstairs as well. They were almost to the door. I closed my eyes tight and just waited for the inevitable. When the front door opened, a miracle happened. Every noise I had been hearing in the house stopped altogether, all at the same time. I heard my parents walk in, then my brother and sister. I was still waiting to hear a blood-curdling scream, but instead I heard my mother's voice. She was calling my name, telling me they were home. I didn't answer at first. It was almost as though I had forgotten how. After trying to be so silent for so long, she called my name again, and then my dad called out. I made it up the stairs in three strides, I think. I ran to my parents, and I was just hugging them, sobbing uncontrollably. They kept asking me what happened. They couldn't understand what I was saying through my tearful convulsions. Finally, I was able to spell out step by step the awful events that had transpired. They knew I was serious because I was white as a sheet and visibly upset, but they didn't believe me. I swore to them that it was the truth, but they just chalked it up to my imagination. They didn't think I was lying, just that my imagination had me remembering wrong. That's all I remember from the evening. I don't remember what we did next or where I slept or even if I ever finished my spaceship. The lessons I learned from this are equally vague. I know I wasn't so eager to be scared after this happened. I told my friends about it, but they didn't believe me either. What I do think this illustrates is something I always say, and that is, perception is reality. 
This evening was very real to me, as real as anything ever was. As I got older, I started thinking that maybe it was just my imagination. But it's hard to shake something so real entirely. I still have visceral memories of that evening, memories that still have an impact on my perception. The key, I think, what my takeaway is, is that if we can have some control over our perceptions, then we have some control over our reality. In any given situation we're faced with, we have a degree of choice in how we perceive it, from what angle. If we exercise that choice, then it should give us more control over the reality that we live in. It's also handy to remember that other people are subject to their perceptions as well. It can make a difference in how we deal with other people at times if we understand their reality might be a little different than our own. These are all just little tidbits that might help you be a better man today than you were yesterday. Until next time, this is Alf Herigstad signing out.